but I was praying and I had like a funny thought, so I have to tell you guys because Joe, I don't know if you know this about Joe, but here's how I met Joe, okay? Here's how I met Joe, the street guy. One morning, uh, Blake and I were meeting for a coffee and uh, we, we went up to Starbucks. We, we grabbed a, a breakfast sandwich and we came down here to the church and uh, came in through the doors of the church and we were talking to one another. It was about seven in the morning. It was a dark winter morning. And somebody sits up from over there and starts speaking to us, responding to our conversation. And so, you know, I got ready for a fight. And Blake and I kind of positioned ourselves. We got some lights flicked on. I thought, what the heck? And here's this fella sleeping in the church. And uh, he had broken in that night. And there was a Mickey on the floor, and he had passed out in here. And uh, we got to just do some ministry with this guy. I got to know him over the years. And... It was neat how the Lord built that friendship out of an act of crime <laughs> and uh, some mercy from some, from some of God's people. And so, uh, yeah, enjoyed that guy and sad to, sad to hear of his passing. So keep his family in your prayers. So anyways, hey, 1 John chapter 5, let's go there in our Bibles this morning. We're going to um, wrap up this series in John, just kind of in 1 John with this final section, and uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 6. We left off with verse 5 last week, going to pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 5, and I don't know, it's, it's fun to, you know, teaching through the Bible, it's so interesting to just see and watch the personality of these different letters, and, and what it does in a church family as, as you teach through them, and we've witnessed that over the years, and I've really enjoyed 1 John. Um, it's, it's been sweet. And I want to remind you just as we got going, to me that he kind of circles the wagons here as he comes and wraps things up. And it reminds me of some of the thoughts that we saw in chapter one. And I'll remind you that, that John opened this letter. He's declared some things about God as he has written to this group of believers. We believe he was writing to the church in Ephesus. He doesn't make it totally clear, but that's a church that he eventually pastored after Timothy. And so he doesn't make it totally clear, but we think that's where he's, where he's writing. And he declares certain things about God. In chapter 1, we saw he said, God is light. And then he told us about halfway through the letter, uh, God is love. And we've, we've looked at that. And this morning, he takes this conversation and he wraps up with this thought with his readers that God is life. So God is light. God is love. God is life. And you'll kind of hear that in... in what we read this morning. So just as a reminder, like hopefully you'll remember this. This is almost taking it back to chapter one, but I'll, I'll remind you that as John wrote this letter, he was battling certain things that were influenced, certain cultural things that were influencing the church and that he was speaking to. And in particular, what John was dealing with at his time uh, was with regards to what's called Gnosticism. He was dealing with the Gnostics, which means this, that... Uh, a Gnostic believed this. They believed that they had knowledge, special knowledge, special insight into spiritual and mystical things. And they had these things and it, it was, they were bringing it into the church from the, from the outside. They, sa they said, you know, we're in the know. We're people, we know stuff. We know spiritual stuff. We know things about mystical things. You Christians know certain things. You've got, you know, your Bible and you've got your teaching, and the apostles have given you certain things, and you know some stuff, but we know more stuff. 
we, we know other spiritual things. We know other mystical things, and we can help you with insights. Our knowledge is kind of superior to that of which you have, superior to that which your church proclaims, and really superior to the word of God. And so John was reeling in this issue and this influence within the church. And it's interesting, again, Gnosticism is this reference to the Greek word, like, like to the idea of knowledge, to knowledge. And John's going to play on that all the way through. He's going to say, you know, you Gnostics, we know some stuff. We know some stuff. Let's talk about what we know as believers. And so you'll just see as we read through that the word know is a, is a, key word in this section of, of scripture. And so these Gnostics were, were claiming there's other knowledge out there. There's other spiritual knowledge out there. It's beyond the reach of the word of God. And you can, you can pull that in. And, and I guess I'll just give you this reminder. You remember that this was influencing what they taught about Jesus. Because for them, because they had moved outside of the context of the word of God as their source of revelation, they had a hard time reconciling the nature of Jesus. That Jesus was both God and he was man. Fully God, fully man. And for them, they were always making this separation in their knowledge of the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And so they couldn't, they couldn't integrate this God that the Christians worshipped. This God who was both fully God and fully man. And so, because they were separating the physical from the spiritual, it impacted the practical sides of their lives. It impacted the, the daily part of their lives. You know, the Gnostic could separate what they believed spiritually and how they lived in the world and how they acted out their faith. You know, you could, you could worship on Sunday, and the rest of the week you could live immorally in this city of Ephesus, which was a real immoral city. And you could do what you wanted because really, you know, the, the physical and the spiritual, they couldn't be integrated. Your, your body and your soul, they were two separate things. And so you did what you wanted with your body and with your soul, you know, you worship God. And so this little letter began with John proclaiming the true nature of Jesus. That's where we started. He said, I saw these things. I heard with my ears. I touched Jesus with my hands. I know, the, I know the real Jesus. He was fully God and he was fully man. And where you're separating the physical from the spiritual, I just wanted to declare to you, John basically says to this church that Jesus is the perfect integration of the physical and the spiritual. He's the God man. And so here's these false teachers. They're claiming to have knowledge. John is confronting their influence. He's confronting their false teaching. And now he's going to wrap it up and he's going to give us five things. And really there are five things that he's saying, you can know these things. As Christians, we know these things. These are realities. You, you Gnostics talk about whatever you want to talk about. As followers of Jesus, these are truths and realities for us as Christians, and they're not up for debate, we know these things. It's good to know stuff, isn't it? It's good to know certain things. And here's these guys, they like claim, well, we've got secret knowledge. We've got stuff that is beyond what the church teaches. We have that which is beyond the, 
the Bible. And basically, John's going to say, you know what? No matter what you guys claim, no matter what you say, here's five things that we can know with absolute certainty as followers of Jesus. Are you guys okay, Dion? You guys hit a deer on your way here? Yeah, you're okay? Yeah. Whereabouts did that happen? Secret Cove Marina out there. Okay. Okay. Cars okay? No. Okay. Glad you guys are here safe. Big Greg walks in in a minute. You'll know why they're coming in late. Okay. Wow. Action. Um, so, John, we can know certain things. Okay. There's knowledge that we have as Christians, and it's not up for debate. And this is not about being proud. You know, it's not about dogma or like rubbing stuff in people's faces. But there are just certain things that followers of Jesus can, can comprehend and understand. Greg, good to see you, man. <laughs> I just gave him the update. Okay, good. Glad you're here. There, there are certain things that we can know with confidence, with certainty, and and we should hold to these things with absolute confidence. So here's the first one John's going to tell us. And it's this, that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. So let's check it out for six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. I like that. He has this te- whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Man, God has given testimony concerning the nature and the identity of King Jesus. He is fully God, and he is fully man. Total basic doctrine to Christianity, right? It's like absolute basic 101 Christianity is to believe and experience the reality that Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. He's God. But how do we know? How do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? The Pharisees, all sorts of people in Jesus' day made claims about him. Pharisees said he's a liar. Some said he's a madman. Some said he's a deceiver. Some suggested that he was possessed by demonic spirits. The Gnostics who were influencing this church believed that, that Jesus was merely a man on whom this kind of Christ consciousness had come. That it came upon him at his baptism and it departed from him when he was crucified and they didn't look at him as the resurrected Lord. And so in John, throughout John's letter, he's just been, he's been refuting the, the false claims and the false teachings of these Gnostics and, and finally he points us to some witnesses to help us comprehend that Jesus is God. And we know the scripture tells us that every testimony is to be established by two or three witnesses. So John gives us some witnesses. Let's check them out. What are they? He points us to three. The water, 
the blood, and the spirit. The water refers to Jesus, well, it refers to lots of things, but I think that one of the things that it refers to is Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. You remember as he was coming to the Jordan, the crowds were there. John the Baptist pointed at him, at him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lord had told John, he said to, to John the Baptist, he said, the man on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he's the one, man. He is the Messiah. And so Jesus comes to the waters to be baptized and he's baptized and the scripture tells us that as he is coming out of the waters, what happened? An audible voice was spoken from heaven. That's like crazy, right? Sometimes we, we read the pages of scripture and, and we just, we get so comfortable with it. We get so familiar with it. We don't stop and understand what it says. Like imagine if we were interrupted by a voice from heaven right now. That would freak me out. <laughs> That would freak you out. The scripture says every time God speaks from heaven, you see it Old Testament and New Testament, that the voice thundered. It happens a few times in the gospels or two for sure. Jesus comes up out of the water at his baptism and a voice thunders from heaven. And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. The same time as that was happening, the scripture tells us that the spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and remained upon him, rested on him. And so at Jesus' baptism, what do we get from the father? The father testifies, he affirms right at the start of Jesus' ministry that this is my son. This is the son of God and it happened at his baptism, John says, the water testifies to who Jesus is. Then there's the blood. Another, another witness. And the father gave further witness for Jesus as the time drew near for him to draw close. You know, we talk about the triumphal entry. We, we all love the story of the triumphal entry and we miss often one of the things that happened after Jesus rode in to the city on that donkey. You know that story, Palm Sunday. They laid their cloaks down. They cut their palm branches. They sang, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus rode from the Mount of Olives down through the valley up into the city of Jerusalem. And he went through the Eastern Gate. Totally significant because that's where the King of Kings is gonna come again. Through that Eastern Gate, it was the last time he, he passed in through that gate. And he went up into the Temple Mount and the scripture tells us that he began to teach the crowds while he was there. I mean, we love the front end of the story, but here's what happened on the back end of the story. As Jesus was teaching the crowd, he began to reference to them what was coming for him, what was ahead for him, that his death was coming. It was just days beforehand. And as Jesus began to reference that, John chapter 12 records that he, he said to the crowds, what should I say? Should I say to the Father, save me from this hour? And he said, no. For this purpose I have come. And I don't know if he looked up to heaven. In my mind, he looked up to heaven. And he said, Father, glorify your name. And the scripture tells us that again, an audible voice thundered from heaven. 
know what the father said? The father said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Speaking of what he was going to do in Jesus. And the scripture tells us in John chapter 12 that the, that the crowd stood there and they said, whoa, that voice thundered. Some people in the crowd was, were like, whoa, an, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus told the crowd, he said, this voice, it wasn't for, wasn't for me. This voice was not spoken for my benefit. This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, the father amplified his testimony. As, as blood was being shed, Jesus was on that cross, supernatural darkness came over the earth. There was an earthquake. You know, the veil was torn in two. The centurion who observed it all said, truly this man was the son of God. The father gave testimony, the water and the blood. Both at his baptism and at the cross, the father testified to the identity of his son Jesus. John also tells us that the third witness is the spirit. The, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, that his job, he is, he is given this, this role, one of the main roles that he is given is to bear witness to the testimony of Jesus. Scripture says no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Unless he bears testimony to our spirits that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. That means we can trust what he says. The spirit of truth, we can trust his testimony. You know, you and I, we, we, we don't have the privilege of getting to watch in history Jesus being baptized. or We, don't, we didn't have the privilege of uh, actually being at the cross and witnessing his death. But there's one uh, who was present there and is present here today. The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit active on the earth at that time and active on the earth today. And, and you, know, you think about the witness of the Father through the water and the blood. Well, you know, that happened in past history, but the witness of the Holy Spirit is present here with us today. He testifies to our spirits. He declares to us, Jesus is who he claims to be. Jesus is who the word of God declares him to be. You know, how does the Spirit witness to us? How does he witness and testify within the heart of a believer? Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul there is telling us that the, that the spirit is the source of our inner confidence. He confirms with our spirits. He speaks to us. He witnesses to us through, through the word of God, as we see even this morning. You know, as we, as we read the Bible, he, he, he witnesses to our hearts. He says, what it says about Jesus is true. You know, that's true only for followers of Jesus who have received the spirit. The world doesn't have that privilege to have the Spirit just testify on the inside. To say, Jesus is who he claims 
to be. You know, another way that the, the Spirit helps us is this, is that he helps us feel at home with the people of God. I don't know if you know that, but like, that's one of his roles. We've seen that in 1 John. It's like, it's interesting that a church sometimes just feels like family. Why is that? Where you're like, I feel safe. I feel like these people love me. I feel like there's grace here. I feel like God's presence here. I'm like comfortable here where I'm not comfortable in certain situations. You know those. Like we all have those where it's like you go in and you're like, man, I am a duck out of water in this place. But when we come with the family of God, the spirit testifies to our spirit. He says, oh, you're at, you're at home now. You're with your family now. Isn't that awesome? With your family. And so the father witnessed in the past with the baptism and the cross, but the spirit is witnessing today, you know, even right now. I just trust that the spirit of God is witnessing to your heart. Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so we have the spirit and the water and the blood. And John says, they settle the matter, man. Those three, those three give testimony to Jesus as God. You know, you, you can trust that testimony. You can trust that testimony. And sometimes I'm driving down the road. I'm like cruising, maybe to Seashelt or, yeah, let's say Seashelt. And you got your hammer, you got the hammer down, you're, you're flying, you guys know that, you sunshine coasters, trying to make time on that highway. And sometimes I just think, man, I can't believe that I trust that yellow line so much. Do you ever think that when you're driving? It's like there's other cars coming at me at this speed and we all trust this little painted yellow line and it like, or not, and, and this little line gives testimony to the fact that it's like, you're going this way, they're going that way, you can trust one another. And it's like, I put my life in the hands of a yellow line. How much better to put your life in the hands of the testimony of the water, the blood, and the spirit? Don't you believe? They declare who Jesus is. And I love that it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. In himself, I, I think that God uses these same three things to testify to us, not only that Jesus is God, but that we belong to him. The water, the blood, and the spirit. We're called to participate, to go down into the waters of baptism, to be identified with Jesus. The water testifies. I, when I entered the water, I was making a public declaration, identifying my life with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That water testified, Matt has given his life to Jesus. He's been saved. He's been identified with Jesus. Testifies about you, the water. Man, if you haven't been wa baptized in water, you should add that testimony to your life, man, to the glory of Jesus. Come and speak to me. We'll get you water baptized. You know, we, we, we identify with the blood. We come to the table. We're not having communion this morning, but we come and we partake of these communion elements that represent the body and blood of our Lord. We identify our lives with the blood. We, we say this in, the in this church. If you don't know Jesus, please respectfully refrain. You won't offend us, but this means a lot to us. We are identifying ourselves with Jesus. This blood testifies. This cup testifies to the blood and that we identify our lives. We are identified with him who shed his blood for us. 
the Spirit. He indwells us. He lives in us. He, 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 he allows us to say, Abba, Father. And so these same three that testify about Jesus, they testify about us. And so what does John tell us? He tells us this. Here's something you can know. No matter what anybody tells you, no matter what the JWs say, no matter what Islam says, no wonder whoever, whatever cult group, Jesus is God. Settled. Here's the testimony. The water, the blood, and the spirit. Here's another thing that John tells us. He says, here, you can settle this one. Here's the second one. That believers have eternal life. Read verse 11 with me. 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who who believe in the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. That means this. That's implying you can know you have eternal life. You know, whenever I do discipleship with people, 1 John 5, 11, and 12 are the first verses I teach them to memorize because it helps you settle this. It's like you can settle this. Do I have eternal life? I don't know if I have eternal life. But what does the scripture tell you? Well, it says this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. Okay, who gave you eternal life? God gave me eternal life. How do you know that you have eternal life? Well, it says... The life is in his son. Do you have the son? Well, I don't know. Well, how can you know if you have the son? Well, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, then I'll be saved. Straight up. That's what the scripture tells us. Whoever has the son has life. You receive the son when you, when you believed in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you invited Jesus into your life. He invited you into his. He entered in through faith and it's settled. It took me a long time to, you know, I, I still, don't you, don't you ever go, oh man, I don't know. Satan comes and he just plants it. He's like, oh, the gospel's not real. It's not real. You're not really saved. This is all just a game. It's all just a waste of time. You, come on, you have those thoughts, right? I have those thoughts. They come. And we tear down those arguments with the promises of God. We tear down those devices of Satan with with the truth that God has given us. And the truth is this. This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Look, the question is, do you have the son? Do you have the son of God? You know the beautiful thing about salvation is that it's a gift. It's a gift. God gives it. It's like, I don't earn it. I don't work for it. I can't achieve it. It's a gift that's given to me. All I can do is unwrap the present and receive it. Say thank you. (laughs) Didn't deserve that. Thank you. And the source of eternal life is identified here in this text for us. It's it's Jesus, the Son. He who has the Son has life. And that's a gift that's just 
receive, like I said, it's by faith. By faith, we take it in. By faith, we say, okay, Lord, I believe it. I believe you gave your son for me. Jesus, I believe that you came to fulfill the purpose of your father. You went to that cross. You offered yourself in substitution for me. Where I deserve to die, you went there and you took your sin upon me. You bore it on that tree. You shed your blood. You gave your life. You died and you were raised from the dead, victorious over sin, death, the devil, and the grave. You offer me that very life. And Jesus, I come to you in faith. Turn from my sin. Confess you as Lord. I, I believe in my heart that you did this for me and I invite you into my life. Jesus, you are Lord. It's a gift that's received by faith. And look, God, God wants his children. God wants his children to know that they belong to him. That's cool. Like that's not in question for him. It's like, no, no. Like if you're a parent, you just know this. It's like you like to brag on your kids, man. It's like I want people to know that that cool kid is my kid. It's like I don't know how it happened, but yes, that child came from me. And they're awesome. They're amazing. Parents, fathers, mothers like to identify their children and say, look how awesome that kid is. That kid is mine. Your father in heaven wants you to know and he wants others to know that you belong to him. You can, the spirit of God wants to settle it in your heart so you can know. So you can know. And John has given us throughout this letter different different actual characteristics that help us know. I'll remind you of a few of them. He said this, he said, everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. He told us that no one who is born of God practices sin. We're gonna, we're gonna come back around to that in a few minutes. He, he said that we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We love the family of God. He, he said this, he said, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God. He talked about that whole hate, love thing. He said, no, we're those called to love. He said this, that everyone who's born of God overcomes the world. He gave us identifying factors for the children of God and if you are a child of God, your life will bear these birthmarks. Not in perfection, I don't, I don't know, birthmarks aren't really like a perfect thing anyways, you know, I don't know if you, but you'll bear these birthmarks. And these birthmarks will tell you with confidence, you can say, I am a child of God. God is my father. Jesus has saved me. No speculations. Your father in heaven's not a speculator. He knows those who belong to them, to him, and he identifies them, and he wants them to know in their hearts. The Lord can help you settle it if you're unsure. And so John says, uh, the second thing is this, is that believers have eternal life. We can know it. The third is this, that God answers prayer. That's the third thing you can settle it in your heart and in your mind. God answers prayer. You do not need to question it. 
Look what he says in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That sounds like a real big blank check to me. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Wow, that's like really cool because I just think, you know, it's one thing to know that, that Jesus is God. It's one thing to know that I belong to him. It's another thing to have that begin to work itself out in the daily part of my life. Like how does that begin to just hit the practical parts of my life. And I think I would define it this way. Here's the thing. You know, I'm an earthly father and I take care of my children. They don't necessarily realize it and they don't necessarily understand everything that's involved in it. But I make sure there's a roof over their head. I make sure there's food in their bellies. I make sure their shoes aren't worn out and you know that their clothes fit and I, there's details that I look after as an earthly father that they're just kids. They don't, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're not having to worry about it. They, they don't wonder if the lights are gonna go on when they flick the switch because they have an earthly father who's paying the bills. You have a heavenly father and he's paid the bills. He's paid the bills. And, and our heavenly father responds, you know? Isabella, she, she's, eh, daddy, can you come tuck me in? And I was like, I was fighting with my computer last night. I'm like, Eesh. I don't have time. I'm like, I couldn't resist because respond to the call of my child. Your father in heaven responds to the call of his children. and We can call upon him in prayer. And the scripture tells us there's certain things. You know, John, John tells us that here, here that we can that we can have a confidence if we ask anything according to his will. His, his word directs us. You know, the question for me when I read that is, well, then what's the will? What's the will of God? It's always a good question when we come to prayer. There's conditions that have to be met. You know, the, the scripture warns us that, that if we cherish sin in our hearts, God doesn't, that that's gonna be a barrier in prayer. You know, Peter tells us that if there's, there's brokenness in our marriages between husbands and wives. That, that's going to hinder our prayer life. You know, if there's issues between us and other believers, the scripture commands us, we need to go and seek out forgiveness and restoration in that relationship. Or that's going to hinder our prayer lives. If, if we're not abiding in Jesus, Jesus said this, if, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given you. And so are we abiding? Are we, are we abiding in the word of God? Is this our food? Is this our daily bread? Is this our living water? Are we abiding? John says we've got to pray according to God's will. And you know, prayer is this this mighty weapon, but it's this weapon that's not for getting my will done in heaven. It's God's will done on earth. P prayer is, really, it's been said this about prayer, that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. Your God is not reluctant. 
He's willing. And, and what, what breathing is to the physical man, praying should be to the spiritual man. Scripture tells us, pray without ceasing. Just never stop. Talk to the Lord all the time, in your heart and in your mind, wherever you are, whatever's going on, you're prepping dinner, you're at the work, you're at work, you're filled, putting gas in the car, man, you're in conversations with, you just pray without ceasing. Keep talking to the Lord. Because prayer is not just the utterance of your lips, but it's, it's your heart crying out. And the Lord is a refuge for those who will go to him. He hears the cries of our hearts. Look, we're not beggars, man. We're children. We are not beggars. We are children, the children of God. And our dad, he's rich, man. He's a wealthy father. He is a wealthy father who wants to look after his kids. He knows what we need. You know, when I think about prayer, I would just say this, that the most important thing about prayer is discerning what is the will of God. What is his will? And we have to take time to discern that when we go to the place of prayer. You know, just sometimes that means you just flip to your Bible and you just begin to search for promises of God and direction from God's, God's word so that you understand the principles of his kingdom or different principles or promises that apply to certain situations. And once we, we know the will of God, we, we can pray with confidence. To me, that's always the thing. It's like, man, when I know something is the will of God, it's like, boom, you don't have to mess around, right? You don't have to mess around. You can pray with confidence and then you can just wait. Say, Father, I trust you. You're gonna come through in the midst of this. I was, as I was studying this week, I, I've got a little prayer journal that I just, I flip, I, we were yapping about this. I can't remember when we were talking about this. This week somewhere, one of our small groups. And sometimes I just flip that thing open and I go back over old things that I've written down and I'm just like blown away. Like, wow, I was so hung up on that. I was so worried about that. There was such a need there. Answered, answered, answered. Praise the Lord. We can pray with confidence. We know. Look, followers of Jesus, we know God answers prayer settled done fourth thing john tells us we know is this christians do not practice sin so verse 16 if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death he shall ask and god will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead lead to death there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now we've seen this throughout John's letter a little bit as he deals with sin. He is not talking about occasional sins, trip-ups, okay? He's talking about the habitual practice of sin. You say, 
Practice makes perfect, right? Practice makes perfect. You, you practice to hone skills. You practice to become efficient. You know, I always think of sport or I think of Isabella on her fiddle or playing the piano. You, you practice so that you're efficient and you can execute when it comes time for the, for the right performance or the game. And John is telling us this, those who follow Jesus do not practice sin. They are not honing skills to be gamers when it comes to sin. And the reason why is because a believer has a new nature. His, his desires and, and appetites are for the things of the spirit. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But the reality is, is we know this and we've seen this throughout John, that there's just two natures that you and I have that are battling against one another. There's the old man in here and the, and the new man. And once in a while, that old man rears, rears his head and the devil's been doing his work and the flesh has been appealing, the world's been appealing. You know, we've seen in this book, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And there can be, you know, I, I'm not giving license for this, but the reality is, is there's occasional slip-ups. But what does the righteous man do? Though he falls down seven times, he gets back up. The practice is to get back up and to practice righteousness. That's what we're to practice. This is not condemnation. It's motivation. Get back up and practice righteousness. And John tells us that the, that the world lies in the, the power of the evil one. He, he is appealing to the desires of the eyes and the desires of the flesh and, and the pride of life. And he's got lots of tactics. He's got lots of devices. And lots of times our flesh doesn't need his help. Scripture, scripture calls him a, a serpent, you know, lying in the grass, a lion roaring. And he appeals to us. He lies to us. He seeks to deceive us. There's the flesh, that old nature but we have a new nature. We don't have to yield to the old nature. I love what verse 18 says. Check out verse 18 again there. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. I, I, you know, Satan give, give his little whispers and his little influence, but there's no hands on. There's no hands-on. That's what the scripture says. He's got a limit. He's got a boundary. Because Jesus is protecting us. He says, those that are in my hand, no one can snatch from me. And we don't have to rely on ourselves. That's one of the things we've seen through John. That we do not have to rely on ourselves. We call on Jesus, man. In the midst of it, we don't send the first Adam. We send the last Adam when temptation comes knocking at our hearts and at our lives. Remember Peter's experience with Satan? Satan had to come to the Lord and say, can I have permission to sift him? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said he came and he asked for permission to sift you. The thing that always blows me away about that story is, is Jesus doesn't tell us that he said no to Satan. He said, I prayed for you. When we've got through this, you know where to come back. 
It's like, I, I really believe in the story of, uh, of Peter, like the story of Job, that the Lord gave him a, a certain amount of license to test him, to expose to Peter what was really in his heart. That if God lifted his hand of protection, the man was toast. Just like Job, God lifts his hand, just like you and me. God lifts his hands, I'm done for, man. I'm done. There's nothing in this man. There's nothing in you that can withstand that. We're in the prote- it's the protection of Jesus. He protects us. Enemy can't touch us. When we sin, there's forgiveness. But, but John tells us clearly here, believers, followers of Jesus do not hone the practice of sin. That's not where we seek to be efficient. And God actually warns here, the, the scripture warns here, John warns that sin can lead to physical death. You can actually die in your sin. Like we know that's what sin is, it's death. All unrighteousness is, is sin, but there are some sins that are worse than others. You know, we were, we were going through uh, this, this week on Wednesday night, making our way through Leviticus, and there's a crazy story in there about the presence of God coming and God making a way for Moses and Aaron to come right into his presence. And the very next story in Leviticus chapter 10 tells the story of Aaron's two sons, uh, Abihu and, and uh, what was his name? Nadab. And they presumptuously entered into the presence of God. They went in unauthorized. They offered unauthorized sacrifice and God just consumed them right there in his presence. Sin that led to death. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Sin that led to death. Or there's Achan. Remember Achan in in the book of Joshua? When they go to Jericho and they capture Jericho, one of the strict commands God gave them was not to take gold or silver or any possessions from that city when those walls came down. Achan took, man. He clearly disobeyed the direct word and command of God. He hid those things in his tent. What it cost him? His life. It was sin that led to death. And you know, I think about us. I mean, you, you, you read some of those Old Testament stories and the reality is, is that I think it's fair to say as New Testament Christians, we have a greater responsibility towards the word of God and towards Jesus than even the Old Testament saints had. We're functioning with a lot of insight and wisdom into the, into the knowledge and into the word of God. And I, and I think the warning here is in this text is this, is that if we don't deal with sin, God will discipline us. He will deal with us like a loving father deals with his children. He can't let certain things go. It's got to be dealt with. And John tells us if we, if we see a brother or sister committing sin, then, then we should pray for them. We should pray that they be led to repentance, man. We should pray that they be led back to that, that place of humility before the Lord. But there's a strange thing in this text, but it's a reality. He says if in praying, you know, you're praying and, and you don't sense uh, God's will for you to be praying for your brother in this situation, then sometimes you got to leave it alone. You ever had that happen in prayer? It's like the Lord's just like, you can lay up. Lay up. I, I got it. You know, once in a while, I, I get that. You know, you're praying about a certain situation and it's like you're praying for repentance and then it switches and you're like, 
No, actually, I'm going to pray for discipline. And I'm going to pray God will be gracious in his discipline. And I'll pray that, that this person will be a quick learner. But I will pray, whatever it takes, Lord. I, I find my prayer switching and going there more often. Whatever it takes, Lord, because I trust you. Whatever you got to do to bring a heart of repentance and humility in there, you do it, Lord, because it's better than the alternative. And God will use discipline. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to pray that for people. And so John tells us, we know this. This, this is something we know. Christians do not practice sin. They don't practice it. They have the divine nature within. The spirit lives in them. Jesus is guarding them. They're protected by him. They don't want God's discipline. So it's not to be the practice of their lives. Not condemnation, motivation. And then the last thing he tells us this. Last thing we know. We can know it. I like this one. The Christian life is real life. Jesus is reality. Jesus is reality. Verse 20. And we know, not up for grabs, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Can I read that again? I, I just love verse 20. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What does John say? He says this, man. Jesus is the true God. We know him who is true. He is the real thing. He's even better than the real thing. He is the real deal. And John warns in the midst of this about the danger of idolatry. Idolatry, the, the tragedy of idolatry is this, is that you trade the genuine for the fake, for the phony, for the sham. You, you lower your worship and you set your worship upon that which is not real, which is not genuine. An idol is lifeless. An idol is a useless substitute for the real thing. That's why he says this. He's like, don't trade the, the real for a phony. Because you have what is real in Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the true light. I'm the true bread. I am the door. He said, I'm the true vine. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm, I'm the original man. I'm the original. Everything else is just a copy. Everything else is a cheap imitation. He's authentic. 
And so what John is calling us to is this. He's saying, man, you can live in an atmosphere of reality with Jesus. You know, people who don't know Jesus, they just, they, they live with what they've got. It's a, it's a false reality. It's, it's pretense. It's, it's a sham. And you can have reality by knowing Jesus. And so there's this warning about idolatry because the thing that we serve is the thing we worship. Whatever controls our lives and calls the shots, man, that's our God. That's our idol. Anything that comes between us and Jesus, that's an idol. And that's why God warns us that of idolatry here. That it's a subtle way that 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 Satan wants to move you from reality, from the reality of the kingdom and its truth. You know, the world, the world is boasting. It's boasting in its wisdom. It's boasting in its gnosis. It's Gnostic. Boasts about what it knows. Boasts about what it believes. But the truth is, is the word of God tells us that it's the Christian who walks in true light. It's the Christian who knows reality by knowing Jesus. The world can talk about love. It doesn't know love. Jesus is love. The world can talk about light, enlightenment. John told us Jesus is light. The world can talk about what life is and how great life is. John tells us Jesus is life. He is light, he is love, he is life. And the world can put on its display and it's, it's wisdom and it's learning and there's just no comparison to the spiritual reality that is in Christ. The light, the love, the truth that is found in Jesus that make life real. That make it real. That awaken you to reality. Aren't you glad you're in reality? Because of Jesus. That's why. Because of Jesus. And so John warns us. That's how he closes. He just says this. Watch out for the false reality. <laughs> Watch out for the cheap imitation. Don't get conned. Don't get sucked in. Remember when you came to Jesus? Man, you were born again. You came alive. <sighs> Blew your mind. Reality changed. So good. John says this, eh, whatever anybody wants to claim, here's what we know. Here's what we know. It's not up for argument. We wrestle these truths into our hearts until we grasp them. We know this, Jesus is God. We know this, that those who come to Jesus have eternal life. We know this, God answers the prayers of his children. He's our father. We know this. Christians do not practice sin, man. We're leaving that stuff in the rearview mirror. We're gonna practice righteousness. And we know this. Christianity, Jesus, it's reality. It's the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said no one comes to the father except through me. Let's pray this morning.